Welcome to this special GUT podcast on the GUT commentary series on digestive health and climate change, which is being published in paper copy in GUT in December 2023, perfectly timed just before COP28 in Dubai. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Digital and Education Editor of GUT and Honorary Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to a fantastic panel of guests from literally around the globe who will now introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Bishar Omari from Rutgers University, uh, which is uh, located in the eastern state of New Jersey uh, within the United States. I've had the privilege uh, to serve as past president of the American Gastrological Association. Hi, I'm Desmond Ledden, a professor of medicine at Dalhousie University in Canada and incoming chair of the World Gastroenterology Organization Climate Committee. Hi. I'm Geoffrey Metz from the University of Melbourne and Monash University, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and I'm President-Elect of the World Gastroenterology Organisation. Hi, I'm Andy Veach from the Department of Gastroenterology in Wolverhampton in the United Kingdom, and I'm President of the British Society of Gastroenterology. Hello, I am Guilherme Macedo, the head of the Department of Gastroenterology and Professor at the Centro Hospitalar Universitario San Juan, to Portugal and the current president of the World Gastroenterology Organization. Hello, I am Mylene Perman from the Fiji National University, Suva, Fiji, and the head of School of Medical Science. And Fiji is very much on the front line of the climate change crisis. Thank you all uh, for intru- introducing yourselves. Collectively, our panel are introducing an exciting nine commentary series all related to digestive health and climate change to the gut readership. Each commentary summarises one or a hybrid of nine educational webinars organised by the World Gastroenterology Organisation. This concise podcast is unusual for us at GUT in that it has six participants who were involved in setting up the World Gastro Organization webinar course and the commentaries that were developed from this course, and that it highlights an entire commentary series on a very important topic that GUT is very, very proud to publish. Professors, panel, thank you so much for joining me to do this podcast, a GUT podcast which for the first time is spread over 16 different time zones online. First of all, to you all, congratulations on your excellent commentaries. They're really great to read, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy reading them too. Firstly, could I ask Dr. Omri to briefly highlight the fundamentals of the climate change crisis in general, and specifically as related to digestive health, so our listeners listeners fully appreciate this. Uh, One component of the answer uh, to your important question uh, is nicely covered uh, in the first of the nine commentaries that uh, happens to be titled The Fundamentals of Understanding the Climate Change uh, Crisis. It is authored uh, by Professors uh, Des Ledden and Hugh Montgomery. I should note uh, that uh, Dr. Montgomery, who is an uh, intensivist at University College London, has received the Order of the British Empire for his work on climate change and health. When one talks about uh, climate change, the United Nations defines it 
uh, as the long-term shifts in temperatures and weather patterns. And this is represented uh, by what has been seen, which is continuous rise in global uh, temperatures since the pre-industrial period of 1850s, a rise in ocean warming, increased sea levels due to Arctic ice sheets melting, uh, record flooding uh, and fires. Of note, uh, climate change is due primarily to the burning of fossil fuels like coal, oil, and gas, all of which generate greenhouse gases, with carbon dioxide being the most common uh, greenhouse uh, gas. It's also important to highlight the unequivocal evidence that climate change is due, to, for the most part, to human activity. And one of the best examples of this is the improvement uh, during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic because of the global shutdown or rampdown uh, that took place uh, at the time. In terms of the impact of climate uh, change uh, on health, it is huge. For example, uh, the World Health Organization estimates that if the tide is not reversed, there is a projected increase of 250,000 additional deaths per year due to undernutrition, malaria, diarrhea, and heat stress alone, aside from migration and displacement uh, effects. In terms of GI health, uh, this is uh, nicely covered uh, in the commentary by Dr. Donnelly and Tally. Basically, every GI organ uh, can be affected. I also take this brief opportunity to emphasize that the most impacted are the more vulnerable populations, namely the elderly, uh, children, communities of color, and low-income communities. These at-risk groups are also covered in the WGO gut commentary series. Lastly, uh, another GI-related climate change burden to highlight is non-recyclable uh, waste that includes plastics and nanomicroplastics. And these are also discussed in the commentary series. So thank you, uh, Dr. Smith, for your question. Thank you for that answer. Being uh, a leading health professional in Fiji, may I ask Dr. Pernam to uh, explain the detrimental impact the climate change crisis has on vulnerable groups and developing countries, and what preventable measures are possible? Thank you, Dr. Philip, for the question and the, for giving me the opportunity to respond. As a health professional in Fiji, I am acutely aware of the detrimental impact that the climate change crisis has on vulnerable groups and developing countries. Climate change poses significant risks to human health exacerbating vulnerabilities and creating new challenges, particularly for those in low-income communities. One of the main immediate consequences of climate change is the increased frequency and intensity of extreme weather events. Vulnerable groups and developing countries often lack the infrastructure and resources to adequately prepare for and respond to these events, leading to a higher risk of injuries, displacement, and loss of life. In addition, health facilities can be damaged by extreme weather events, disrupting the supply of essential medicine and clean water, which can lead to increase in infectious diseases. Climate change also has indirect effect on health through its impact on food and water security. This can lead to food shortages and inadequate access to clean water and sanitation facilities, resulting in the spread of waterborne diseases. This which will in turn can further compromise 
the health of vulnerable populations. To address these challenges, preventative measures are crucial, and they include, one, international cooperation and support from developed countries, two, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and adoption of sustainable development practices, three, strengthening healthcare infrastructure and having early warning systems, and last but not the least, having educational and awareness programs that promote climate resilient practices and empower communities to adapt and protect their health. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pernam, and uh, I, I hope you're you're okay. I know there's been a tropical storm just pass over Fiji. Moving on, how can we approach a green endoscopy as a specialty and reduce waste? That's a big question that's being asked in the UK. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this important topic. So endoscopy is the third highest generator of waste in the hospital environment. So it's important for its greenhouse gas emissions, we can see this waste in front of us every time we do an endoscopy list. The amount of waste generated can be up to two to three kilograms per procedure. Much of it's non-contaminated. And this amount of waste is often incinerated or goes to, goes to, to landfill. And there's an opportunity there to tackle this. But there's also a much bigger hidden carbon footprint, um, which we can, we can address as well. So, when we're approaching this, just where, where do we start? I think the first thing to do really is to recognise the problem, and we can see it in front of us, acknowledge it. And perhaps surprisingly, as the WGO survey couple uh, showed, not all gastroenterologists have taken this step yet. And then we can commit to actions to mit mitigate the effects of endoscopy. And this can seem daunting when we look at the scale of it. So where do we start with this? Well, I think the green endoscopy commentary in this WO gut series is a good start. We also fortunately have some excellent, really practical guidelines from the British Society of Gastroenterology published in gut this year, and in the previous year from the European Society of Gastrointestinal Endoscopy published in endoscopy. And these set out some really basic principles which we can all adapt into our practice. One that seems very uh, simple is just avoid unnecessary procedures. We know that we do a lot of inappropriate endoscopy. And obviously, you know, the greenest endoscopy we do is the one that we didn't need to do. We can then, you know, take basic principles for sustainable environmental sustainability. And we have the three R's, reduce, reuse and recycle. And we can see that, how that might quite easily apply to endoscopy. But there's a couple of other R's we can think about as well. We think how we do things, and also research, because there's a lot of gaps in our knowledge here, there's a lot of uncertainty, and there'll be new ways of doing things which are greener, which we have some idea about at the moment, but we do need further research in this area. There are some areas that we may not think about. Think about the paper that we generate in the admin of our endoscopy service. See how much of this could be paperless. Think about what, what we can do to reduce Travel, travel for our patients, travel for our staff. Obviously, they need to come to the procedure. But there's a lot of pre-assessment and follow-up, which can perhaps be done remotely. And we learned how to do this during the pandemic. The biggest uh, burden of carbon emissions in endoscopy is in the supply chain, about two-thirds of this. 
Now, this is harder for us as individuals to, to, to deal with, but this is being tackled at government level in the UK and increasingly in, uh, in other uh, uh, countries around the, around the world. But it can, we can have some influence, some of us who are leaders in our services, within the hospital procurement in our own in environments. So getting started with it again can still seem daunting. I think we do. We we there, we need green endoscopy champions. That might be one of us. Might be you. But you know, this can be a doctor. It could be a nurse, or perhaps, but even more effectively, a manager. But we all, we can have champions in our endoscopy service. But just think about our national our national endoscopy societies as well. And many endoscopy societies around the world are taking a lead on this. You'll be able to read about this in this commentary series. But if yours hasn't already, then perhaps suggest it. And if it is, then do please get engaged. And huge strides have been made in the past couple of years in gastroenterology societies around the world. And some have made huge strides in a very short time. So please do get started on this important work. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Professor Veach. So, Professor Ledin, I wondered if you could address the next question. What is the carbon footprint of a gastroenterology service and what adaptation is needed? Yes, thanks very much, Dr. Smith, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to the membership. The carbon footprint of a gastroenterology service is the total amount of greenhouse gases emitted by our actions and um, of course, carbon is the one we know most, but there are many other greenhouse gases involved as well. Healthcare contributes about 5% of national emissions generally. It's a bit higher in the United States. And certainly digestive healthcare is a significant contributor to health emissions. So we're, we're a big player in this. A gastroenterology service is the full spectrum of digestive uh, healthcare, which includes uh, prevention, managing the referral process, diagnostic and therapeutic services and follow-up care. And of course, it's all underpinned by the supply chain and the buildings and infrastructure which allow us to, to practice. And we know from the work done in mapping the carbon footprint of the NHS that the supply chain likely accounts for about two-thirds of the emissions associated with our care delivery. I, <laughs> We have to admit we do not yet have a comprehensive map of the carbon emissions associated with each step of digestive health service delivery, but we're getting close to defining it, especially in endoscopy. And in time, the other pieces which make up the carbon footprint of GI will be filled in. But in the meantime, there are many actions which we can take which make empiric sense. With regard to the second part of your question, adaptation uh, is a key action moving forward. And adaptation means uh, simply adjusting to living in a new reality. And, you know, there are two types of adaptation which we might talk about. One is adapting to a new climate, and second is adapting to living in a new health system as it tries to meet the challenge of climate change. In the UK, I think maybe the main adaptation driver may be adjusting and contributing to systems change rather than adapting to a radically new physical environment. And that's not the case, of course, in, in many other countries, particularly low-income countries. Health services are increasingly committed to the cause of reducing carbon emissions, so we need to adapt as a discipline to that challenge and contribute positively. 
The major adaptation which we need to make, I think, is to factor in to how we practice not just the traditional metrics such as cost and benefit and outcomes, but the environmental cost as well, which to this point we've largely been ignoring. So the process of adaptation is well underway. Telemedicine is perhaps the most obvious example of adaptation uh, to a new reality. And the work to allow us to make the most impactful adaptation changes is advancing quickly. So I think we'll see a lot more in this space in the near future. Thanks for the opportunity to contribute to this podcast. Thank you, uh, Professor Ledden. Professor Metz, thank you for joining. The World Gastroenterology Organization, or WGO, has been very active in the area of climate action. As the president-elect of the WGO, can you please briefly summarise the WGO's efforts undertaken so far and what your plans are during the next coming one to two years? Well, thank you very much for that question, Phil. And although scientists have warned over the last 150 years of the connection of industrialization to increase greenhouse gas levels and thereby global warming, since soon after the start of the Industrial Revolution, they have predicted a major impact on global warming, leading to major changes to extreme weather and then food and water security. But it took over a century before the effect of these changes on health and disease was seen. And these changes have been far greater than expected. The WGO is a federation of 119 member societies with over 66,000 members across every region of the world. And our role is to inform, educate, train and advocate for improved health. In that capacity, we started holding sessions on climate change at our scientific conferences in 2015, created a, a climate change working group, which has developed into a climate change committee, a major committee of our organisation now, and we produced seminars and slide decks and then articles published in gastrointestinal journals over the subsequent years. A survey of the presidents of all of our member societies revealed that although the presidents recognised the critical effect of climate change, they were at the same time not sure as to what they and all of us should do to mitigate the problem. Hence, we ran nine webinars uh, earlier in 2023 to highlight the changes the impact they were having, and over the course of the nine webinars to explain what we could do and should do to try and improve the situation. We're going to continue this work over the next year or so with increasing numbers of lectures and articles being produced by our organisation in collaboration with other interested organisations, including British uh, medical uh, organisations, American and across the world, so that we can have a combined collaborative a group that will hopefully have an, a, a major impact. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Professor Metz. So moving on now to our last question to Professor Makedo. Um, how can gastroenterologists engage with the climate change crisis and what opportunities are there for GI health professionals to take action. Thank you, Philip, for this opportunity. 
of showing everyone how this is a call of duty for all the GI community. More than defining the current situation as a climate change crisis, we are now preferring to face these times and rename them as the climate change challenges because this concept is related to the better understanding of how complex and evolving these processes are. Because we, as specialists of digestive health, have already reached a tipping point, a moment of no return, from the almost absolute unawareness of the situation towards the revelation, I would say almost an epiphany, of understanding that immediate attention and actions are needed. We have also realized that we have been part of the problem, meaning that we should be part of the solutions. It touches, in fact, almost the concept of an explicit ethical demand. And because we are GIs, we like to face challenges and progressively overcome all the pressures and all requests with creativity and pragmatic intelligence. Also, climate change challenges are here to stay. They will foster changes in individual and institutional behaviors. They imply new organizational frameworks. They introduce specific drives to create new flowcharts. We all realize how there is a dual interaction between climate change and healthcare how we became vulnerable in a multitude of ways, but we've also acknowledged the opportunities we can, now on, be engaged with. At the level of education, it will be important to share our different strategies of sustainability practices we are developing in-house, in our own departments, communicate them extensively, showing how, in multiple small actions, we are effectively and efficiently able to reduce waste and carbon emissions. Involving leadership is essential, as their example will inspire everyone throughout the hierarchy of departments and institutions to pursue the green pathway towards sustainability. Research could also be a highway for motivation especially if resources are properly allocated to look deep into the intersection of environment and the full life cycle of activities related to healthcare delivery. Accordingly, the concept of sustainability might be implemented as a quality domain in digestive healthcare. Collaboration with industry partners both from the devices and pharmaceutical companies should be undertaken, priming them to seek for eco-friendly products. And this alone may stand as a stream of activities that might allow further research anchored in sustainable environmental principles. National GI societies and their international networks need to provide the stage for committed doctors let's say the green champions, to expand their concepts, goals and achievements, showcasing the steps taken in their own units and hospitals, demonstrating how each of them have been taking part of these defining moments of history. Hopefully, 
in the near future, we might rename again this threatening crisis we are living in, not as climate change challenges, but simply to climate change initiatives. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. Thank you all very much for doing this podcast. It's been really interesting. It's been fun and actually really informative on the biggest challenge of our time. I'm sure our listeners agree uh, with this, and I strongly encourage them to read all of the commentaries published in GUT by clicking on the link under this podcast. Readers can also view the freely available webinars on the World Gastroenterology Organization website. Congratulations to you all once again and to your co-authors for the commentaries and the good work you're doing. And please, listeners, join us in the future for further GUT podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.